Your mother suffered cycles of terrible darkness and irrational exhilaration. She needed help, but she wouldn't accept it. No light. Labyrinth. Rain coming. You'd have never made it out. She. She would have kept on trying. There was no monster chasing your mother. No, there was. There always was. But I couldn't save her either. Not from her own mind. Perhaps I never really knew you. Strange new takes. I'm your host Natch Karnik, and with me, revealing that we've been Romulan the whole time, is <laughs> uh, Sub Commander Bill Voivod. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, welcome to Strange New Takes. Today we're covering season two, episode seven of Star Trek: The Card Monsters. <clears throat> Make sure you follow us on social media so you get episode updates as they come out, and obviously, please help us spread the word about our podcast by telling your friends about it. Getting us some new listeners, maybe. And also giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. By the way, our social media handles are at Strange New Takes on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Spoiler warning, we're going to be spoiling this episode of Picard and may also uh, spoil content from anything within the Star Trek canon, so be warned. And sometimes, occasionally, we, we do random other shit, like, for example, last week talking about Gaius Baltar and BSG, and hey, guess what? <laughs> Turns out that was very relevant. He's not a Cylon, you guys. <laughs> well, uh. Picard is technically, right? He's a skin job, so. <laughs> um, well, as Bill mentioned earlier, we're talking about the seventh episode of season two of Star Trek Picard. First aired on 14th April, 2022. It was written by Jane Maggs. Directed by Joe Menendez, and the in-universe date is 2024. Here's the episode summary from Memory Alpha. Talon ventures inside Picard's subconscious mind to help wake him from a coma and face both his darkest secrets and deepest fears. Seven and Rafi go in search of Jurati, whom they fear has succumbed to the monster inside. Uh, that sentence about as long as their presence on screen. And then Rio struggles to hide the truth of who he really is from Teresa. He doesn't struggle very long, though. <laughs> uh, anyway we always start with our strange new takes so bill what you got for me um so i have a, a recommendation for a tv show um so this is a new one on amazon called outer range it's kind of a like creepy sci-fi-ish western with uh josh brolin um and i like if you like like lost or um station 11 or the leftovers or the OA kind of, it's not really sci-fi because there's not a lot of science in it, right? But kind of creepy genre TV shows. Um, I'm enjoying that a lot. What's it called uh, again? 
uh, Outer Range. Hmm, interesting. I'm going to look this up. Yeah, yeah. I'm super into it. Like, ended on a cliffhanger last time, and I can't wait for the next next, uh, episode. Uh, For this, you guys, for this episode, this is kind of embarrassing. But I think I I must have like a a little bit of face blindness or something because I really thought it was Dr. Bashir for like a (laughs) long time. (laughs) I was like, why is I was like, oh, it's cool. They brought in a DS9 character. (laughs) I'm like, I wonder why, like they're not acknowledging that it's Bashir. And then it was Baltar. (laughs) Okay. So I got to show you that they actually have taken a picture together and I'm going to, I'm going to show it to you right now. Oh, really? Yeah. So this is this is the two of them. They do actually look fairly similar. They're not like, especially when like a younger James Callis looks a lot like a younger Alexander Siddig. Like, look at this this comparison of like DS9 Bashir with James Callis. They have very similar features. Yeah, I think it's kind of uncanny, but um, <laughs> they're a little different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, man, it is, uh, it'd be great if we revealed that Bashir was Picard's dad this whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, well, my strange new take is actually going to be about another podcast. So there's a podcast called Fake Doctors Real Friends. I was just telling Bill about this. It's about Donald Faison and Zach Braff, who were the stars of Scrubs. Apparently, like the week after the pandemic started in March 2020, they started this rewatch podcast of Scrubs, and it goes straight through just today. They're still, I think, on season six, and there are like eight seasons of Scrubs. I was actually kind of skeptical. I've always liked Scrubs, but I was like, I don't know if this is going to be good. It's actually really wholesome. And it's funny that it, that I like it, despite the fact that they really, a lot of the time they go on these massive tangents, for example, about Donald Faison's love of Star Wars. And he and Zach Braff are always just like, uh, you know, vibing with each other because they're best friends in real life. And like, so sometimes Scrubs gets talked about very little, <laughs> the actual episode of the show, but it's still really wholesome and kind of fun. And it's kind of, it's one of those podcasts that you listen to and you just come away feeling very like warm and fuzzy inside. So highly recommend taking a listen. Uh, I will warn you, they have like tons and tons of commercials in the podcast, so that can get kind of annoying. But and there's also a lot of like, I don't know, like stuff from in the middle of the pandemic where you're like, oh, yeah, I remember watching that video in like April of 2020. Like They're making fun of Donald Trump going down the ramp. You remember that? Like when there was like oh, yeah. two months where everyone was all about that and now it's like completely forgotten. Um, so there's stuff like that, but I still like it. So fake doctors, real friends, go check it out. Um, with this episode, I was not looking forward to this episode because I thought it was going to be kind of a retread of several other like fantasy episodes like the Robin Hood or the Voyager Beowulf or whatever. I was just like, I don't really want this like mind... Uh, mind hunter kind of style episode yeah. and instead i really liked it i genuinely like appreciated what they were able to do with it i think it really it didn't subvert my expectations but it exceeded them significantly so so i'll, I'll just leave it at that for now but um let's jump into talking about that this episode opens with dialogue where i was like I recognize that voice. I know who that is. Like, I, I know. I t- it takes them like three or four minutes to like pan away from Picard because Picard is responding to the voice. And then we finally see, uh, just like you, Bill, I thought, Dr. Bashir, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So it's uh, Gaius Baltar who's having like a psychotherapy session with Picard in his coma. It was and like, it, how long did it take your eyes to adjust to the fact that it was James Gallus and not Alexander Siddig? No, I mean it, dude. It took like halfway through the episode. Really? Um, no, shit. I'm not joking. I, Damn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think if we hadn't discussed it last week, I would not have, I wouldn't have picked it up. But it's because like Emily was like brought it up two episodes ago. I brought it up last time that I was like, oh my god, that is fucking James Callis. Like, have you? Se- I haven't seen him in anything since BSG, to be honest. No, no, I haven't either. And that, I mean, I don't know if I haven't been on uh, uh, the Reddit thread about this episode yet, so I don't know if there are others who are face blind like me who made that mistake. But like, what you know, they could have put him in. I mean, I guess he. Ha- I was gonna say they could have put him in at least in like a different kind of uniform that wasn't so much like the one Bashir wore. Mm-hmm. That might have helped uh, distinguish it a little bit, but um, I can't imagine that that was like an accident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it was intentional to kind of um, make it, it make it ambiguous. <clears throat> yeah, and I mean, it's it's kind of an interesting setting, right? Like, because we've explored therapy and discovery before, and I can't remember us seeing Picard in like an intense therapy session before. We've seen him like yeah. talk to Troy, of course, and it's kind of like this advising session. But this was very much kind of a um, an established therapy session. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I mean, I agree with what you said at the beginning that this, I'm not super into like Mind Hunter, it's like Conception, or you go inside their dreams or whatever. That's never been like a super compelling premise for me. But I thought uh, this one was really well done. Mm-hmm. And we learned some new stuff about Picard that I think was enlightening. Um, and in a way, it, it kind of t- tied back to the larger plot. So I thought it was, yeah, very well done. Um, it is kind of meta. Maybe that's not the right word, but. I mean, you're already in your dream, which is like a point of psychoanalysis, right? And then mm-hmm. within the dream, you're getting psychotherapy. So it's like, you know, very trippy, very yeah. <laughs> going really deep. <clears throat> and it was interesting to watch Picard be a bad therapy patient, <laughs> right? And that's exactly how you imagine him being. Yeah, yeah. He was kind of a brat. <laughs> Right, right, and and that's the way yeah. that's the way season one Picard was, right? Like with he's like a you know like stickler for the rules. He's not very touchy feely. He hates kids. Like you know he's yeah he's he's been held up as this kind of paragon of Star Trek and kind of the perfect captain or whatever. But the guy's not good at talking about his feelings. Yeah, yeah, not at all. And I think in a funny way that makes him a lot more relatable and human. Um, and it's, and it was interesting to watch Maurice, which is James, his father's character's name, um, kind of bring that out of him. I'm not a hundred percent sure if Maurice is supposed to be a therapist though, if he's, cause he's not actually in Starfleet, I think. Um, but I'm not a hundred percent positive hmm. about that. So what did you think about the kind of reveal towards the end that like, Picard's mother had some mental illness and that it was kind of weird or kind of unexpected for me and that the father was somewhat redeemed because it turned out that he was really just 
trying to deal with his mom's mental illness or something? Yeah. So I have a lot of feelings on this. Um, I'll just start by saying that. So we've seen Maurice Picard before. He was played by Clive Church back in the day uh, on TNG in the episode huh. Family and in the episode Conundrum. We've heard about him. Okay. And um, he's said to be a, a winemaker and placed an importance on keeping the family estate in the same state without making changes to it. He doesn't believe in technology, feared the loss of values, and had frequent discussions with Yvette about whether or not to get a replicator. So he doesn't exactly sound like a Starfleet therapist to me. Yeah. Okay, so that's number one. So number two, also he opposed Jean-Luc's decision to join Starfleet. Uh, another thing really quick to establish for the continuity is that his mother in the series says that Robert is off at boarding school, which is why there aren't two kids running through the dungeon and just one. So to get to the feelings, um, you know, we've talked about how this maybe had been reflect early, how this might have been reflective of Picard's kind of, um, or Patrick Stewart's own domestic abuse situation growing up. And how the, the, this might have been influenced by that and how that might have influenced Picard's character growing up. And I had gone off on a whole like mental tangent imagining that and why it made a lot of sense. This is really good for Star Trek to delve into this. I don't think we've seen serious domestic abuse on Star Trek before. I don't, I don't mean like there have been episodes where like a couple might be violent to one another, but we've not had it as an ongoing theme of life. I can't remember any other character really having, like Bashir has his parents, he like, his parents, he believes his parents betrayed him by giving him genetic enhancements, but we don't really, I don't think we've seen this level like of potential domestic abuse. I was like, wow, this could be a new frontier for, for Star Trek to explore, and I think doing it through the lens of Picard, who's this iconic character, was really powerful. So, to get away from that uh, is is interesting. I, I don't know how I feel about that, but that's my own fault for you know making assumptions, I guess. The other thing is, I do think it's also a very powerful portrayal of a couple staying together despite mental illness, and it and it it's it's a it's a powerful reminder of the scars that mental illness can leave on a family. So I think yeah. it, I think the new story also makes sense. Did you think it made it, the, the Picard character still makes a lot of sense based on this new story now that we know? Yeah, yeah. The thing that struck me was that um, before that reveal, the parallels with Patrick Stewart's own life are really clear, mm -hmm. right? And and but then. Uh, with this reveal that actually basically, you know, to simplify, basically the dad is a good guy um, yeah, yeah. is, you know, I, um, is pretty dissonant with, I think, as I, as I understand uh, Patrick Stewart's uh, family background and childhood. So I, I, I wondered, like, was that weird for him to do that acting, right? To be like, oh, dad, I forgive you. It's like, I, like I understand now. Um, well, I wonder if that was kind of cathartic to him to mm. to create a character for himself who he, i mean some actors who've played characters for so long sometimes talk about how they are the character david Suchet, uh bill mm -hmm. i know you watch poirot like me and you know how iconic david Suchet's portrayal of agatha christie's poirot is and if you read Suchet's book 
he talks about how he is Poirot. There's there's two parts of his mind. One where he's David Suchet and one where he's Hercule Poirot. And I wonder if this is Picard's way to kind of give himself a new family that flips the, the script a little. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that, it could be. So it's just yeah, I but I I thought about that because there's actually a line I can't find a transcript of the episode now, but there's a line where he talks about kind of like he says something about his father and which the real Picard I think if he said that it would be kind of or Patrick Stewart said that it would be kind of like um, self delusion almost mm-hmm, based on what yeah. I've read about his father. So anyway, it just kind of. Um, yeah, I had the same feelings you did, Bill. Um, and it kind of flips the script on how we see Yvette Picard, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. Um, and yeah, it it well, okay. First of all, like I'm I'm given to understand that this stuff is all like reality. Like Picard's mom really did have mental illness and his dad really was dealing with it or whatever. But it's like from a dream, right? Mm-hmm. So it could just all be made up. I mean, you know, that that's actually kind of unclear to me or, you know, when you think about it, it whatever. Um, but I think they're presenting it like it's true. Um, right. And yeah, I mean, it, you know, I guess it kind of makes sense with the um, like crazy art project, like painting on the windows or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. And then he and then he said something about uh, manic episodes. Right. And so there's there's some been some conversation online about whether this is manic depression or whether this is bipolar episodes that have been happening. Um, and we're not 100 percent sure. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, obviously she doesn't get a diagnosis. And um, it's interesting that does the does the reveal of his father happen before or after he wakes up? It's it's before it, or after Picard wakes up? Yeah, is it, is it still part of the like dream sequence or is it is it like do you remember? Oh. I'm having oh. trouble remembering if it's like if it's like him triggering his memories while he's awake. Or, oh, you know? I see. Maybe. Yeah. I uh, watching the show I interpreted it as being during the dream sequence because okay. they show I mean there's a scene where they're kind of in the dungeon or whatever and and they're talking um, and it's and it's like 80 year old Picard right right he's right talking exactly. to him yeah but but maybe it's supposed to be a memory <clears throat> yeah I don't know exactly um it's I, I, but either way it's kind of he's been stuffing away this memory of what happened during his childhood to and he's been interpreting it a certain way to make his life make sense and now it's completely turned upside down um the way he's interpreted all of this and from at least from tng we know that maurice and yvette stayed together for a while after this so i wonder if we're gonna have more revelations basically is my point through this about picard's relationship with his father and like his whether he's going to reevaluate because his father has been kind of made up made off to be some sort of hard ass in Picard's mm-hmm, life mm-hmm. going forward. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and I wonder if with all this kind of uh, introspective character stuff with Picard, if it will somehow tie back to the plot, maybe through Renee Picard or something like that. And yeah, I mean, so so this is this is the key thing, right? Like, so we've seen that something that was established early in the season is shown to be fundamentally false. So is that a signal that other things that Picard has been assuming or knows or thinking have been wrong this whole time? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, some of the, like, showrunners said that, right? Or kind of suggested it in an interview. I don't know. I, I think, right, that. that Picard might not be a reliable narrator. But I hope it's not just like, you know, Dallas Dream Season or... Um, Right, like you know, this is like not LOL. None of it matters, or you know, <laughs> this this isn't like completely in his head. Yeah, I mean that you know it's pretty like deflating for fans to be like, oh yeah, everything you just watch, you spent like ten hours watching, like none of it happened. <laughs> Which was the TV show that have you, have you heard of this? Where in the end it's shown to be a um, a, a crystal ball, like a, a snow globe dream sequence the whole whole time. Well, I. Um, I don't know about the snow globe, but there was the Dallas dream season famously. I think it was towards the end of Dallas when maybe the writing was not so good. And there was like a whole season that like at the end of it, it just turned out that it was all in JR's head or whatever. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's it. Cause yeah. doesn't JR like die at one point and come back? Who or shot JR? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was actually JR having the dream or if it was rj or but but there was a whole season that was a dream season nine <clears throat> of dallas apparently uh was was the dream season so so the episode uh, the tv show that i'm referring to is new heart which was a tv show that uh lasted eight seasons in between 1982 and 1990 uh starring bob Newhart. and um so what, what happens is that in the episode the um the main character wakes up and he is shown to be next to his wife from Bob Newhart's previous TV show, the Bob Newhart show. And he wakes up and basically everything in the entire eight seasons of Newhart is shown to be a dream that the previous character has been having. There's another TV show where they have like a crystal ball, um, where uh, basically, like, um, I forget now, I'm, I'm looking this up as we speak. So Saint Elsewhere uh, is mm. another TV show where at the end of it, um, the, uh, let's see, let's see. I'm looking this up so I can tell, I don't make something up. So the, the show takes place at the hospital and then the image cuts to an exterior shot of the hospital shaking. At that moment... Uh, one of the characters is shown playing with a snow globe. And basically, the common interpretation of the scene, the entire series of the events of the series, has been a product of one of the characters' imaginations. So, I, it's it, these are like famous like American TV show shows where the, the audience basically has to be like, wait, what? None of that was real? <laughs> um... <laughs> And yeah, I like you. I think I would hope that they don't don't end up doing that uh, in this series as well. But anyway, um, okay. One more thing before we move off of Picard and the dream sequence, uh, Talon's a Romulan. 
Yeah, yeah. And so I think the, I mean, this this was fine. I thought, um, okay. you know, the explanation is that she looks like Laris just because she's he's like, oh, you could be an ancestor or something. Like Laris's great 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 grandmother or something and, and in star trek you get in the star trek universe you get these really uncanny like basically you look exactly like your parents right uh-huh uh-huh <clears throat> so so that's the answer which you know fine if uh if game of thrones was uh star trek uh ned stark would have figured would never have figured or would have figured things out really quickly because uh the bastard child that he uses to figure out that uh the sister and brother have been committing incest because he, he knows that his like best friend's bloodline is strong it would have been much quicker because the actors would have been the same <laughs> so anyway um yeah i uh, i don't know man i have mixed feelings about this like it's not like a big like game changer for me but it's kind of like it's all those things that i'm kind of like eh it strains credulity a little bit a romulan on earth you know though in star trek romulans have always been the sneaky untrustworthy people and like talon is kind of like helpfully helping humans this whole time like uh, i don't know I, I i have less issues with the fact that she looks exactly like laris than the idea of a romulan actually doing this um so i don't know they, they hopefully there's some meaning to the fact that they've made her romulan i would have preferred it to be like i just took the form of somebody that you um that you knew to like make you comfortable you know yeah, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but I think the answer is just that they really liked Orla Brady and wanted to fit her in the season and so yeah. made up this thing about her being a Romulan to kind of do that. <clears throat> totally, totally. Just like Issa Briones being uh, uh, Sung's daughter. By the way, what do you think of, what have you thought of Orla Brady's American accent? Because she is a very Irish person. Um, her her latter's accent is actually her real voice, as far as I know. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, uh, uh, it's pretty good. Um, yeah, not maybe not a 10 out of 10. Maybe a little, oh, it doesn't get it quite right all the time. So have you seen, so the, the guy who played Apollo, um, Adama, what is his name? The younger Adama in BSG. Lee Adama. Lee Adama. Have you heard the actor who played him, Jamie Bamber, talk in real life? No. He's British. And Leo okay. Damas had an American accent. I mean, he's fucking... Uh, the, who, who's the guy who played the older Adama? Now I'm forgetting. Iconic actor. Um, oh, my God. The guy, he was in um, that movie about the teacher, uh, Admiral Adama. I need to look this up now. Um, played by... I cannot believe I've forgotten this. He's in... Edward James Olmos. Um, oh, yeah. And Edward James Olmos was, like, in uh, Stand and Deliver the thing about this math teacher in a uh, inner city high school who like inspires his kids anyway that was his like 1988 like iconic movie so i mean he's like the all-american kind of hollywood heartthrob and they bring in a british actor to be his son on psg uh but he do, do you remember the the season where leah Dama wears a fat suit uh-huh and at one point he goes guys baltar <laughs> that was the reaction that some people posted in the Reddit thread for this episode, for this Picard episode, by the way. Guys, Walter? <laughs> yeah, it's, um, but I, so the reason I bring up Jamie Bamber is because that American accent by British actors, uncanny. Like, I could not believe, because Jamie Bamber is in the UK uh, Law and Order, 
where he's mm-hmm. like speaking with his like normal English accent, and it's just is like ins- it like blew my mind, and I couldn't watch BCG BSG for a little while because I was like, I cannot like. It- I, the, it, I cannot see this guy without imagining his, like, British accent. But with Orla Brady, you're right. Like, it's, like, it's about, like, 90% of the way there. But there are times that I'm, like, that's not how an American would say it. Yeah, yeah. I I was just watching a show, what was it, where the character, in terms of the accent and pronunciation, like, nailed it. But there were colloquialisms, like, it, he called somebody a dumbass. And, and this char- character says, oh, you're such a dumb ass. And I was like, that guy is British for sure. It's like, you mean dumbass? It's like one word, you know? Yeah, it's like, yeah, but, a, it's like if the character was like an American actor, like, bloody hell, this is terrible. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In, in Poirot, they're so bad. Um, yeah. yeah. West yeah. or Poirot, I'm from the United States of America. <laughs> <laughs> when we are in New York. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I love that. I love that. They're American people are always, they're men. They're like businessmen who are like really impatient and don't have the time to like be dealing with this. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> uh, funny. That's really funny. Well, let's let's take a break here, Bill. We'll come back and talk about the scenes with Rafi, Seven, and Rios. You did it. He's stable. Are you from outer space? No. I'm from Chile. I just worked in outer space. Welcome back to Strange New Takes, where you've just been discussing Orla Brady being a possible American. Uh, and this, I mean, at this point, we have to kind of give reference to Dick Van Dyke's uh, English accent in um, in Mary Poppins. Have you watched Mary Poppins, Bill? Oh, man, not, not since I was a little kid. Well, that is, I mean, that is the iconic, like, actor doing a terrible accent that that they're not kind of belonging to. Um, Because he's supposed to be a cockney chimney sweep. And it's fucking Dick Van Dyke, the, like, iconic, like, proper American. You know, I mean, this is back when television was entirely the the fictional mid-Atlantic accent, which is kind of this mix of, like, American and English accents, but it's very proper. And so to hear him do this horrible cockney accent... So bad. bad. Well, I I Uh, hate to say it, but you know, James Doohan's Scottish accent was just like terrible. Hundred percent. I I think his dad was Scottish. Captain. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, he's Canadian. Yeah, he's Canadian. Um, Which, speaking of people being from places, um, Cristobal Rios uh, say using the iconic. I'm from Chile, but I work in outer space. Uh, voyage home <laughs> reference. What do you think about that? Huh? Oh yeah, it was great. That that's the kind of fan service that that I appreciate. 
There was one guy on the Reddit thread who started like, that pulled me out of the episode and he was downboarded to shit. <laughs> and made me really happy. <laughs> it was me doing, I made, <laughs> I made a hundred uh, <laughs> accounts just to downvote that guy. Yeah, seriously, it, 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 I, I would like, this. you know, this situation would be like, good. I'm glad you took the time to do that. The world needed that from you. <laughs> you brought joy to a lot of us. <laughs> So Santiago Cabrera, just just so we know, is is a Venezuelan-born Chilean British actor, and I haven't delved deep into his like family story to learn about that. But he's uh, he's got a, a bunch of mixed ancestry, basically. Uh, so I, I really I really enjoyed that reveal of of Rio saying he's from Chile. I, I like the him kind of giving his background as that and. Um, what do you, you think about the, the scenes with him and Teresa in this episode? Because basically we, we see Teresa kind of get too suspicious and she has to... I, I saw a lot of conversation about Rio's handing a 31st... Uh, not 31st, 25th century medical device to a 21st century uh, doctor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you would think that they're like pretty user-friendly um, stuff from mm -hmm. the future. But yeah, I mean, it, it, I don't know if it makes that much sense, but you know, the whole thing is like, and I, th I think it's a decent writing, not a bad idea. You know, they're having a little romance and they're going to have to say goodbye and, or maybe, or maybe he'll try to take her with or something. I mean, I guess he shows her the ship in this episode. So um, he shows her and her son. The sh He's like drawing the ship on the wall with Chuck, with Ricardo. Right. <laughs> Um, Rios isn't he's like got the Janeway uh, attitude to the temporal prime directive yeah yeah <laughs> I mean I, I think you know we've seen this like scene of are you from the future many times right in Star Trek like we've seen it in terms of like people recognizing Starfleet officers in on like pre-warp cultures we've seen it in like previous episodes of like time travel I thought this was a good one. I think I think her getting kind of suspicious, but then having to be pulled out of it just because it's like important that she saved Picard's life. I think it was a good way to get past the whole like, I don't believe you, you yeah. know, thing to like I'm just gonna be open to whatever you have to share. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. Um, you know, and there's just something. I mean, it's a kind of a classic you know, set up for a romance, right? To have something that pulls them, you know, they're in love, but they're, the, the plot pulls them apart, right? And, yeah. You know. I'm still hoping we don't have Rio staying behind because I really want Rios to continue being in Star Trek. I, I really, really like his character and I really like Santiago Cabrera. And it seems like Picard is very hesitant to ditch actors. Uh, so maybe that's a good sign. But at the same time, I also don't want like Teresa's clinic to go without its like founder, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would love, you know, when Picard is done to have the, the new cast continue and have, you know, like a stargazer show with Rios. And if it's, there's a Rios and Seven. Those are the only ones I care about that much. Right, um, right. Yeah. And yeah, and that, that could happen. I don't I don't think it's likely or planned. But, um, you know, Strange New Worlds is happening just because fans wanted it. So Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I would love to see that. And I've not yet got very attached to Rafi as a character, which I feel bad because um, it's... I think she's, she's a compelling addition to the story. I just haven't... 
I don't think they've got us to like really care about her character because they keep like um, undermining her and making her kind of this uh, foil for Seven in some ways. But Michelle yeah. Hurd is a great actress, so I would really like her to become a more um, like like the Raffi that we had at the first episode of Picard. I think was great. And if we had continued down that, but they made her this like angry, like I miss Elnor person having visions, and that's just not. I, I'm not there yet with her. So I, I have a quick little story to share about um, Raffi. So I, so a few years ago, during the first season of Picard, I was getting a, a, a something to eat in an airport with a friend and colleague of mine at the time. We were talking about season one of Star Trek and whether like the kind of techno socialism in Star Trek is like, you know, does money exist or like, how does it, you know, and like things that are scarce, like Picasso paintings, how are the, you know, how, how can you have post scarcity with stuff like that? And we were kind of just talking it through philosophically. And I was thinking about Raffi. I was like, well, Raffi like has a place to live. That's, I mean, it's a trailer in the desert, you know, but maybe like that's kind of the minimum, you know, anyway, so we were just like kind of, talking about the society and Star Trek and the economic system. And some lady who was sitting next to us at this restaurant in the Minneapolis airport, I think thought overheard us and thought she must have thought that I was talking about a real person living in a trailer park and being like, <laughs> and yeah, they, you know, they have a trailer. They're fine. I'm not worried about, you know, and, <laughs> and she uh, got up and chewed me out <clears throat> in this restaurant in the airport. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For like being oh insensitive God. and entitled, and yeah, it was like no, we're did talking you, about you, we're talking about Star Trek. It's not. <laughs> what, what did you do? What did she do when she realized you were talking about Star Trek? <laughs> no, she just kind of yelled at me and then stormed off. She had just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is so horrible, dude. Like, I I I unless someone's talking about like. I don't know, gassing an entire race or genocide <laughs> or something. Like, don't confront people in the airport. Like, they, they might be talking about Star Trek or TV or something. You never know. Like, I mean, but just like Picard, right? Like, we we don't, you know, if if we had chewed out Picard's father based on what we saw in season one or in episode one of the show uh, up until this point, we'd have the whole wrong impression about the family, right? Like, it's just, you know, people have complicated ways of expressing things sometimes, man. And it's just, that's... That's crazy. Oh, my God. Um, but anyway, hopefully they get Rafi to the point where we really want to see her, too. and get Because I think Girardi has been walked from a character that I really did not give a shit about to becoming someone I really cared about. Um, they undermined that a little bit by letting her get taken over with the, by the board queen. But at the same time, she did it because she was trying to save the rest of the crew because she wanted them to have a way back. So maybe it's not horrible uh, yet. So Gir I would like Girardi to be in the Stargazer follow-up. Let's put yeah. it that way. Yeah, agreed. <clears throat> Well, um, I I agree with you that like it's it's sentimental. Like, yeah, Rio should not be allowing his like paramour and their son to be on a ship that's been taken over by the Borg, which probably has a Borg queen body on there somewhere. Like, what if Ricardo <laughs> hits a button in the morgue and like fucking finds the Borg queen? Like, it's like assimilated. <laughs> like, you know. Ricardo is the new Borg Queen, basically. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, nuts, dude. That's crazy. Um, 
yeah so anyway i don't i don't think that we should we should be that you know in an ideal world yeah that should not have happened but like come on like we want the two of them to get together at the end um but anyway uh i think that's about it on that plot though i don't think there's much more to it than you know ricardo saying i want to touch everything which who which of us would not do that if you were like being on a star trek <laughs> ship right um <clears throat> Well, that gets us to talking about Seven and Raffi, who were in the show for a hot minute and had kind of a Poirot-esque detective scene. Did they? I'm... I mean, you, well, you, I, I, you, honestly, you, I can't remember what happened with them. You, you blocked it out. Um, yeah, no, it's they're hunting for Gerardi, right? And, and they show up outside a bar, they see a broken window, oh, and yeah. they're like, clearly that is significant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's... It's kind of silly, right? Seven, like, breaks the bottle on the sidewalk, and she's like, ooh, there's some endorphins. <laughs> That's the good stuff. Um, okay, but, I'm glad you explained that to me, because I didn't know why that was significant. I was like, what, why, what is, what was, why, why did she break the bottle? Okay, that makes a lot of sense now to me, though, that, that yeah. she's just feeling out whether she gets endorphins. You know, it's like at, like, a Greek restaurant on your birthday or something, and, like, smashing plates, and, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so by the way apparently don't just randomly smash plates around greek people apparently a lot of restaurants where the sma plate smashing of plates is encouraged have special plates to be smashed so if you just like smash the stuff your food came on they'll be like what the fuck are you doing dude that's not good shit <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, Rafi just pulls up, a, like, a thing and gets the camera feed, and they're like, oh, this is what happened. And apparently nothing happened to Girardi after she broke the window. Like, nobody was like, hey, we gotta call the cops now. <laughs> <laughs> they were understanding. <laughs> yeah, they're like, yeah, you know, this happens every few nights. There's a random lady in a dress that comes in here and just smashes our windows. It's just <laughs> occupational risk of owning a bar. Um... Did you recognize Singer in that scene? Well, I I didn't, but <laughs> but now I know who she is because he told me b before the episode. Sunny Azell, Patrick Stewart's wife in real life, uh, jazz singer of some repute, and um, gets a cameo in Picard. Good stuff. And speaking of which, the um, in a previous episode they show a dog that I think is Patrick Stewart's real dog, right? I know he's big into pit bulls and yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, he the the uh, number one, number one. Oh right, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. I had forgotten about that. Yeah, exactly. No, he is. Um, by the way, did you expect uh, when when Gerardi was seeing that guy playing pool and she walks into the the bar, were you expecting her to be like, "I need your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle"? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was I was totally expecting some sort of like bust up with those people, but nothing happened apparently. Uh, yeah. No assimilation still, but now we found out that basically the the endorphins are needed for nanoprobes to grow. So basically, the Borg Queen is getting to a point where she can have something sprout out of Gerardi, and they've yeah. got to find her before that happens. Again, not much more happening there. Um, we, we did see that basically the the, the, the Lacerena is locked out thanks to board encryption. I, did we establish whether Seven broke through it completely or whether um, 
so like Rios, will he face the same lockout as Seven did? I don't know if you clearly established that. Yeah, I don't know either. Yeah, but anyway, uh, and then we get to the final scene with Picard and Guinan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, young Guinan does some Elorian stuff, and you know the Elorians are so. They almost feel like they're from like a different franchise or something. They're kind of magic. They're more kind of like, I don't know, a D&D race or something. Um, but, she, you know, there's some Elorian stuff with the bottle and the voices or whatever. Um, and I think, in, you know, in this scene, <clears throat> they attempt to summon Q, who does not come suggesting or providing further evidence that Q is his powers are kind of crippled or, or maybe he's just like a regular human or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And then, and then Picard gets arrested by a federal agent, which I just felt was like totally like, you know, there's uh, a deus, deus ex machina, right? Where like an angel comes mm-hmm. down and just like solves the plot. This is kind of the opposite. It was like, just some random like oh like Picard gets arrested it's like not connected with the rest of the plot in any way it's just intended to like make a lame cliffhanger and like you know provide some more conflict for the next episode so it's like okay now now the FBI has Picard okay so let's let's get to the get to our federal agent in a second by the way do you know the origin of Deus Ex Machina like what a Deus Ex Machina was well, I mean, it's the, like the machine of God, right? Is the Latin, but I don't know what the origin is. God out of the machine. Ah. So Roman and ancient Greek plays were very um, structured. There was like a chorus, there were some actors, and there were these like four rules of Greek drama. So basically the entire action had to happen like within the actual span of time that the play takes place. And you can't like have like uh, flash forwards and things like that. And basically, um, because of that, sometimes you had to, like, solve the story immediately. You couldn't have, like, you know, you couldn't see them, like, months from now, things will get better or worse or whatever. So instead, what would happen is a god, an actor playing a god, would come down, like, they were suspended from a crane, and they would come down and be like here's the solution or here's what happens and or they would give a prophecy or something you know like it would solve the entire situation um uh, sometimes a trap door was used but so the machina part is usually the mich- the crane oh the really wow okay yes so that's why it's god out of the machine literally a god comes down using the machine and that's the origin of the phrase deus ex machina uh yeah i i don't know man i was when i first saw it i was like kind of bummed i was like ah federal agent are you fucking kidding me we already had this like drios got arrested like come on but then i went online and i found out who the actor playing the federal agent is oh who is it jay carnes who played lieutenant ducarn in the voyager episode relativity and Duquesne, or not Duquesne, Duquesne, Duquesne is the first officer of Captain Braxton's ship, the Relativity. And when Braxton is revealed to be this bad guy, he takes over um, the Relativity. In this episode, his character, when he holds up his like 
FBI ID, it says Agent Martin Wells. And I'll give you one guess as to what class the ship relativity is. So Wells class. class. <laughs> yeah, Wells class. So there's like, I don't know, this might just be a, like a, a quick call out to like us in, you know, just being like Voyager fans, but I'm really hoping that it is actually Le- Lieutenant Duquesne. So he was noticing uh, the incursion. Like a time cop, basically? Is that the yeah, episode? Exactly. Of, okay. Yeah, yeah. The relativity is the time ship relativity where we, we first meet, um, I think Braxton is in in the episode Future's End. Uh, he comes and he like saves Voyager. At the end, when, when Voyager goes back to the future, he... Um, well, first of all, Braxton is the vagrant in Future's End who gives that... So his ship is the one that, that uh, Henry Starling finds in Future's End, where he gets all the future technology to invent the internet and stuff. Uh, and then Braxton basically <clears throat> comes in at the end to say, thank you, Janeway, for saving me. And like, he, he, but he's, yeah, he's a time cop. And then in the episode Relativity, Braxton, because um, after his third year exile on Earth, Braxton has to undergo extensive rehabilitation where he was allowed to return to duty. And he like blames Janeway for her circumstances. So he's basically going back to the past to fuck things up. So this is the famous episode where Seven of Nine is in a Starfleet uniform and everyone was like, man, she looks better with clothes instead of uh, a skin suit. But yeah, duh. I mean, like we, we don't want one of our characters to be a sex object. Um, anyway, it's that episode where Braxton is revealed to be the bad guy and Duquesne is the guy who takes over once Braxton is taken away, basically. Okay. Um, I, man, that's a really deep cut. I think, I mean, it would be weird if they went through the trouble of like casting that dude and to not, you know, capitalize on that canon connection. Right. Exactly. I... I'm hoping, but again, we were shown how the events of TNG cannot have occurred because of the, the, the timeline has changed, right? Like, because, because the Confederation exists, Picard never met Guinan in Time's End uh, with, uh, uh, do, uh, what's the dude with the, like, um, the author that they met? Oh my God, how am I forgetting the author, Huckleberry Finn writer? Uh, Mark Twain. Yeah, Mark Twain. They never met Mark Twain. So technically, the events of that created the time cops never occurred, unless there's like an evil time cop version of the Confederation time cops from the 31st century or something. Yeah, but I mean, if they're time cops, presumably they have like methods of kind of stabilizing timelines and stuff. So maybe, maybe for maybe for time cops, that stuff doesn't really apply. Right. So maybe maybe they they have. <clears throat> exceeded the, the the same way that Picard and his crew can exist in the past in this past is the same way that Duquesne could exist and maybe he's just taken the place of an FBI officer using his Starfleet uh, technology to then get them arrested yeah man that, I'm intrigued now I'm gonna be kind of disappointed if it's if he's just like an <laughs> F, FBI agent and yeah. Maybe his bloodline is strong too, and he just like, like <laughs> he's like Duquesne's like great 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 grandfather. <laughs> I might stop watching if that's uh, <laughs> that. That might be the last straw. 
<laughs> You're like, new track sucks. Kurtzman out. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll, we'll find out next week, of course. I, I think that the most intriguing thing about this Guinan Picard thing is, A, we find out that the Elorians and the Q had a cold war. Which we've heard that the Borg wiped out the Elorians. So the Q could not wipe out the Elorians, but the Borg did. Which is kind of like, A, makes you think just how powerful are the goddamn Borg. But then, number two, it also, because the Q introduced the Borg to humanity. So it makes you wonder, did the Q introduce the Borg to the Elorians as a solution huh. to that problem? Uh, a lot of question marks there. But then we see that the Elorians have the ability to summon a Q. At any time that they want, using this bottle that has the like essence of the negotiation, which fucking nuts. Yeah. Um. Also, like it must be really inconvenient if the entire world shakes every time you open, you summon a queue. Like you gotta be like everybody, we're gonna summon a queue, secure all the objects in the room. Anything of any value should be like held down. And someone's like, actually, this is the future where nothing has any value. There's no money. We can replicate everything. <laughs> like, oh, that's right. That's right. Okay, I forgot. All right, cool, cool, cool. No problem. Like, or but, you could do it in a bar with lots of glass bottles everywhere. If you right. Wanted to be seems inconvenient. more dramatic. Yeah. Wait, why wasn't Gaina listen? <laughs> we should go out into like Vasquez Rocks, where like you know the the worst thing that could happen is like we ruin the set for the next Star Trek movie because uh, of rocks fall. Uh, but but more significantly, a cue doesn't appear. What does that mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I was convinced that at first that the uh, time cop was John Delancey, you know, who just came in an Uber or whatever. Right. Um, but it wasn't. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it suggests that Q is incapacitated in some way. Um, like there's something really wrong with the continuum right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, and to establish that, Guinan does this is, I was really happy about this. She does the hand things from like, you know, that. <laughs> So the first time uh, Q and Guinan interact is like maybe the first Q episode. It's like really early in Star Trek. Uh, uh -huh. Guinan sees him and, and kind of does this weird cat thing where she's like and like tries to like fight him doing this weird hand. And then the, and then it just never happens again. Or they kind of like, you know, Jordy being able to detect lies. They just never <laughs> talk about it again. But they, she did the hand things this time to kind of see if that guy was a Q or not. Oh, when the guy appears? When he's coming down the stairs and Picard is like, oh, is that Q? And she kind of, you know, and she's like, no, it's not him. If she can like really? sense it. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. I gotta, I'm, I'm actually watching the episode without sound right now. I'm going to see this happen. Like he just started coming down the stairs. Oh yeah, she does. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Oh my god, that's crazy. Okay, well, man, this is like... I am really, really impressed with Picard uh, in terms of their callbacks. They are doing some deep shit sometimes, and it's it's pretty amazing. Um, did you hear, by the way, we forgot about this, the voices that Picard hears in the corridor? Or I think Talon hears of Picard. The lines... Yeah, tell remember? me, tell me, yeah. It... So there are four four lines that are said and here's here's what they are i'm not going to read them as patrick stewart so he says i am locutus of borg from best of both worlds you are dangerous they're only victims you made them what they are from the hunted i would rather die as the man i was 
from Tapestry. And there's some screaming from Chain of Command. Uh, the, you know, there are four lights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, by the way, there, by the way, the, uh, I have, I have smart bulbs in my basement so that I don't need to, like, flip a switch. Um, well, it's actually more than that. Only one of them works with the switch and all the others have to go and, like, tug on a little chain. Mm-hmm. So instead, I've installed smart bulbs where I can tell my, like, Google um, assistant, hey, Google, Oh shit! It's gonna actually turn on. There's one behind my desk. Cancel, cancel, cancel. Anyway, I, I say, uh, turn on the basement lights, and then Google will say to me, turning on four lights, and I always respond, there are four lights. Awesome. Love it. I wish I could program Google to be like, no, there are five lights. Love it. Right, right. Anyway, anyway. So those are those are the four lines that Talon hears Picard saying. So that's another like set of like significant things that um, that maybe maybe might be linked to the story. But anyway, um, I am now really like concerned about what the hell is going on with Q. Like, what is is it Q? So there are two possibilities in my head. One, this is a this is not actually real, and because it's not real, the continuum doesn't actually exist. So Q can basically say like this thing that Guinan would normally do won't work. Or the Q are dying in some way. We've seen that happen in Voyager. And we know that these writers have, you know, enough knowledge of Voyager to maybe poach a concept from there. So maybe this is Picard having to help the continuum. Um, Yeah, yeah. I hope it's not the former, but I mean, I guess we already talked about that. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm just really interested in knowing more about what Q's motivation is and what's going on with him. I think it's about time they start telling us more about that and the, um, and the and the hourglass is a motif in the in the credits right right so the passage of time seems to be something that is significant to both of them yeah yeah i mean another thing that might have happened is because q changed the future maybe inadvertently he also made it so that the q don't exist maybe the humans of the confederation destroy the q you know um so, so there's some like maybe things that Q just fucked. It. I don't know. I think that's less likely. I think your explanation is a stronger one. Um, but there's just a lot of possibilities now. There are only three episodes left, though. Right, right. So at some point they've got to start. I mean, <clears throat> in this episode they wrapped up the whole mother storyline, but they've got to start like wrapping things up. Yeah, uh, yeah. Giving us some answers. We didn't see Adam Soong or Q or the daughter Corey in this, so. Hopefully that's something that we're going to get in the next episode more of mm-hmm. what happened mm-hmm. once Corey figured out the truth. Um, but yeah, it's I I don't know, Bill. I, just as kind of a summation of this whole episode, I'm really intrigued, man. I'm really excited for the next one. This week to week, there has not been an episode this season where I've come away from that being like, eh, okay, whatever. Next week, I guess. I've always been like, I can I wish that I could binge this whole season all at once. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's been great. <clears throat> it keeps it keeps like it keeps you hooked. Yeah, yeah. Well, with that, let's move into strange new ratings. Bill, do you want to stick your neck out and give this episode a rating before I do, or do you want me to go first? Yeah, I can go. Um, so, kind of like I said at the top, I I'm not super into like the mind hunter, you know, let's go into their dreams trope. But I thought this one was really well executed. I thought it was about as as good as you could make it. But still, I don't really like the the general concept. So I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. 
Wow. Okay. All right. That is way lower than I was expecting. But you've you've done that before. You've uh, you gave last week's episode a seven out of ten. <sighs> Man, the problem is in the pale moonlight screws all of this, right? Like, because you're always like you want to give an episode a ten, and you're like, is but is it an in the pale moonlight? You know, you're just, you're just that that Nothing is standard. Is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you know, is it a first contact? And um, so I gotta I gotta decide right now whether I'm I'm okay with there being a range of ten out of ten. So is there like a ten point one to a ten point ten scale, right? <laughs> um, <clears throat> I'm gonna give it a nine. I'm gonna give it a nine. I think I think there were some elements of this that were kind of like, ah, are we sure? But it is. I thought it was beautifully filmed. I thought the sequences in Picard's mind were kind of... They they added some mystery elements, medieval elements, but they didn't go overboard. They, James Callis is a beautiful addition to the Star Trek canon. I think the only regret I have is that we don't get to see him play something else in the future. Because mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed him as a Starfleet counselor. So um, hopefully we can get him back as a different character, Starfleet character in the future. Um, and even with Talon's Romulan revelation, they could have gone a few different directions with like Picard, like kissing her or something and falling in love with her or her now having some like sneakiness built in or something. But it was just kind of very matter of fact. So I, yeah, I just, I enjoyed this episode nine on 10. Um, very excited for the next one. Uh, have, you, have you seen the title of the next episode, by the way? No, what is it? It is called Mercy. Okay. Um, and just, just this, maybe this is a good point to really quick go through the titles of these episodes. The Stargazer, Penance, Assimilation, Watcher, Fly Me to the Moon, Two of One, Monsters, and Mercy. And the episodes are, the titles are pretty like, you know, they're kind of on the nose for what's going to happen in the episode. All right. of this is, right? You know, they're not like, kind of, I, f- I feel like the Discovery ones have been very obtuse. These are these are not like that. So there's going to be someone taking mercy on someone else in the next episode, theoretically. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Well, we'll see. Anyway, um, I will. I'll, I'll. I'll start by thanking you, Bill, for for spending time with me. I was very excited to talk about this episode with you. And like we, we you know, we've had these discussions before. Where we've like sat down with a beer or two in the past and like talked Star Trek and been like, what, what, what happened? So I was very excited, and this was a very good conversation. I enjoyed it very much. Yeah, thank you, Notch. Had a great time. <laughs> yeah, and thanks, uh, Emily, Adam, Dinah, Max, and Rudy. Uh, hope you all are having a good time uh, with whatever you all are doing. Hopefully, Rudy, you've unpacked and things are going well. Um, thank you, dear listener, for spending seven uh, another seven days waiting for an episode and listening to it. Uh, thank you, Jishnu Guha, for recording our theme music. And special thanks this week to the weird bottle that makes the world shake. Um, I don't know what use I would have for one, but if it actually exists, I, I'd like to have it. You know, just be like, uh, I, I need a distraction. Like, just open it and the, like loud noises happen and everything breaks. Uh, could be could be useful. So special thanks to that. All right, thanks everybody. Goodbye. See you next week. Bye. Bye.